0: Morning. Um, that prayer knocked me over. I've heard a lot of prayers. Like, I'm not 25 anymore. I'm 62. It's hard to believe, for me. Uh, I've heard a lot of prayers. I don't think I've ever heard one that's more authentic and more true. So thank you. You know, I was reminded while I was listening. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's a good thing to be guilty because if you're guilty, you're eligible for pardon. If you don't admit your guilt, if you don't recognize you're guilty, you ain't gonna be pardoned. <laughs> So it's a, well, the powerful humanity. Thank you. Uh, Wow. Well, uh, yes, I am Dave. Uh, uh, I I do, uh, I'm a specialist in New Testament primarily. Do you care about this? Do you want to know about this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I'm a specialist in in New Testament primarily. I teach at a grad school of theology, uh, but I also publish in uh, Roman Uh, social history, uh, first century Judaism, uh, and the history of Christianity. I'm totally fun to be around. (laughs) uh, um, But, uh, I've also been a pastor, and um, um, yeah, I'm also on the web, like all of of us are. So, uh, anything else you want to know? care about anything you want to know about me. I'm really not that interesting, so that's that's fine. Okay. Well um, uh, do we have the text on the on the screen? Is that possible? We had it on there earlier. Oh so our text is uh, from uh, uh, Romans 6, it uh, starts at verse 5, but I'm going to start reading just a few verses before verse, uh, chapter 6 verse 1 just to get some momentum up before we get to the passage we're actually looking at today. So Paul writes, what are we going to say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? That, that, that would make sense. You know, if grace is God's forgiveness, maybe we should sin like crazy. That means like just way more frosting on the cake, you know, for us. Paul says, "No, uh, by no means. We are uh, we are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him, and through baptism into death, in order that." Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And now, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly also will be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will, we'll also also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, uh, what do you notice? This is all I have planned right now for this part. So you have to participate a little bit. What, what do you? What do you? What do you notice? Anybody? Pardon? The law of death? A lot of death. A lot of death. Yeah. There is a lot of death. What else do you notice? You only, it only had it happen once yeah that was I mean it was powerful once and for all time uh, okay there, yeah there's parallels between Jesus and us I think that sometimes freaks us out right like really <laughs> like who are we next to him how could how could I possibly be how are we supposed to under how are we supposed to understand that? Anything else you notice? Sin has no mastery over us. Yeah, so sin no longer has mastery over us. Now, I don't know about you, but I still sin. So it still has hooks in me, but it ain't got mastery over me. You know, if you're, in a, if you're in a jail cell, and the cell door is sprung open, you are free. You are free to go. And sometimes you go, and then you walk back in that jail cell, even though there ain't nobody putting you in there but you. That's the image. So it no longer has mastery over us, but we can let it have that mastery. What else do you notice? We died with Christ. We died with Christ. Yeah, we we died with Christ. So what Christ did uh, had an effect It shaped our lives and that that is actually a really true of human interaction right i mean all of us were born in a certain spot because our parents ended up being in a certain spot and it wouldn't happened if they if one of our parents didn't move to wherever it was where they met my mom and dad met in the basement of a church in san francisco uh right after world war ii and my dad saw my mom and thought that yeah, that's someone uh, I wanna you know I wanna get to know. I first met my wife Christina at, at Mount Herman Christian Camp, and she walked in the room, and I had this thought: you could marry her, no, you should marry her. I never met her before; I never had that thought before in my life. It scared the out of me, and I ignored her for the whole <laughs> for the whole weekend. But 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 what what just like that, our meeting created a, a family, and now we have a daughter who's 22. So what Christ did even more than that has an effect. that's just a normal human thing, but what Christ did has an effect on us. Okay, some initial observations. Um, verse, verses 5 and 6. If we are united with him, we are united with him. Whether we feel like it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we live into it or not, we are united to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how far away you think you are, you walk so far away, you've done so much wrong, you are still united to him. He's got a gravitational pull, what he's done is a gravitational pull on you. Nothing you can do can make you so far away that the rescue is impossible. We are united to him. Just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean it's not true if my whole right side is shot full of Novocaine and somebody, or or some anesthetic, and somebody hacks off my arm with a chainsaw, just because I can't feel it doesn't mean I'm not believing. Right? But we are united whether we feel it or not. What Christ has done and what Christ does, there are implications for us. What he has done, what he And what he does right now, there are implications for us. More so than any other uh, interpersonal connection in our lives. He has accomplished, he has done for the many what the many could not do for themselves. And what the many can then enjoy, they can enjoy those benefits. You and me, if we live into it. So we are united to him, with him. I don't know how often do we, do you feel united to Christ? Often, Do you sometimes feel distant. Whether it whether you feel or not, you are united. We are united. That's an important truth to hold of, hold in our hearts. Secondly, our old person is declared dead. The old person is declared dead. Now we ought to unpack that a little bit because this is, uh, can be pretty confusing. I actually didn't really understand the intricacies of this. I got all the way through seminary and didn't really understand it. You and I, the human existence we live, is actually a subhuman existence. What God intended for you and me is what Adam and Eve lived before the fall. Imagine that. That's what God intended. That's what he built us for. So that we could be know him and be known living in, in perfect, open communication, unhindered. But our first parents walked away from that and we have, we have inherited that condition. So we are actually living less than the human life God intended. That's why Paul can call Jesus, as he will do in later on in Romans, the second Adam. Adam as he should have been so if you want to think of it this way like I'll try to do a Venn diagram with my fingers you know like this is where we were this is where we're supposed to live because of original sin we now live down here Christ came and he condescended to live at the level that God intended for Adam and Eve and then there was a little tough spot at the end you know going you know crucifixion and uh, then the resurrection and into heaven And now we are on what Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What Christ has accomplished has made it possible for us to begin living upward to recapture something of that original pattern of life that God meant for human beings, that we as a corporately lost, and that we suffer. Now, Jesus puts it this way himself in one of the Gospels in John uh, uh, he says uh, if anyone is thirsty let him come after me because as the scripture says out of his belly out of his gut will flow rivers of living water this is John 7 this he said about the spirit which had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified now that's a, there's a lot of theology to unpack there but the basic idea is this um, God recognizes that we human beings, as we are, we are lost, and we cannot save ourselves. And God says, "I'm going to need to put my Spirit in believers." And when the Old Testament, the Spirit comes on God, uh, comes on people occasionally, and then leaves. But the idea that the Spirit comes and lives within—that is new, and that's what Jesus is saying. And that happens as a result of the crucifixion and resurrection. That makes it possible for the Spirit to come and live in. That's what makes it possible for us to actually be on that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, you and I live a subhuman existence. And Christ made it possible to the upward call of God for us to live into the renewed possibility of living the life God intended. But we have to live into it. We have to turn our backs to the old path and walk on the new. Stay on the path. Do you stay on the path? I get off the path. I don't, I don't plan on it. I don't really want to. I watch myself get off the path and I'm saying, Dave, stay on the path. But I still walk off the path. That's me. but we can still live progressively free from sin that's verse 7 because anyone who has died has been set free we can walk out of that jail cell and we can stay up and even if we walk back in we can keep walking out when we come to our senses and the life the new life is there Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will also live with him. Not just forever in heaven in the next life, but in this life. We can live into that. That's the promise because of what he's accomplished. And verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's say... Your grandfather told you about some box he has, and he gave it to you, and you forgot about it. You have no idea what's in it. Maybe you think it's just some old, moldy papers. But it turns out it's the deed to about 2,000 acres in the Napa Valley. You're a lot richer than you know you are. But you can't take advantage of it because you're not aware of it. You're not living into it. You're not grasping it. It's yours, but you're not living into it. So Paul says here, you know, we choose. The jail, the jail door is sprung open. We can walk through it in the new life. The question is, will we? So um, unpacking this a little bit more, some of the, some of the background in, in Paul's scheme in Romans. So he writes the Romans. Uh, I'll do, try to do this real quick, broad overview. He's never been to the church in Rome. Most of the times he writes to churches, it's a church that he's founded. He knows the people really well, and he gets right into the messy stuff right away. But he's never, because there's lots of messy stuff. Have you noticed that? <laughs> but he's never been to the church in Rome, so he's in. He's in, and he's, he's going to come and visit. So he's giving them a little taste of his theology. Now, a systematic theology would cover topics like God, heaven, hell, Jesus, Holy Spirit, salvation. This is just one chapter in a systematic theology. And it's about like the chapter on salvation. So it is systematic, but it's not like an entire systematic theology. One chapter. And what he wants to do is analyze the human condition. He says, we are slaves. The the way we are, the way we're born, we are slaves. And we are slaves to three masters. Master number one is uh, sin. Our own sin. We have an evil, what the the Hebrews call the yetzer ha'ra, the evil inclination. And we all know it. I mean, even cartoons have that, you know, with the little, the angel cartoon figure and the devil cartoon figure. We all know that. We have that. It's in us. James will say, you want to know why you sin? Stop blaming Satan. Look at yourself. We all have that. So we are born slaves to sin, number one. We're also born slaves to Satan. If we're bad enough, we have our own, we don't need any help sinning. There's a a powerful figure out there that knows you and has an ill plan for your life. And the third is our culture. Right? Paul will say in Romans, um, uh, don't uh, be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. So the presumption is you're being conformed right now. Right now. And there has never been a culture more effective, more successful, more adept, more aggressive at shaping what human beings think and want than the one we're in right now. So Paul will say, wake up! You can't deny what you haven't unrecognized. So be aware of those of those forces. So count yourself dead to sin. So here's the dilemma of, of human life, and it's an old one. Plato described it this way in his Phaedrus, uh, one of his dialogues. Um, of a charioteer, and the charioteer is in the chariot, and there's two horses, wild, strong, one of them is crazy out of control, always trying to go off the path wherever the, wherever that horse wants to go. The other is almost as strong, um, has its own mind, but does kind of want to go in the right direction. Now, Plato said, the charioteer is our mind. Because he places a high emphasis on intellect and rationality. That's our mind. And the mind needs to control the two passions. The one that's wild and whacked out, and the one that is a little more sober, but is still focused on, on the person. Now today, I think in our culture, we say... Forget about the charioteer. Let's just ride that one wild pony. I think maybe uh, some of you heard this story. I I needed a new phone about, I don't know, 10 years ago. went to the Verizon store and walked up to the young man at the the counter. And before I could say anything, he said, "Um, I know just what you want. And I said, really? He said, yeah, here's this phone you want. And he told me about the phone, and, and then he said, you know, it's, a, it's fast, it's super fast, it's faster than the Starship Enterprise. And I said, I, I don't want fast. What do you mean you don't want fast? Everybody wants fast. I don't want fast. And he looked at me, leaned over and said, listen, not only do you want fast, you deserve it. Isn't that what, isn't that what our culture says? What we deserve Now, um, that didn't come out of nowhere. You know, uh, in the great car crash of, of, of uh, constellations of ideas that have, that have created this, this American culture, one of them is coming out of uh, European liberalism, capital L, is the idea that um, forget about restraint. Throw restraint off. Because if uh, if people aren't told that they should exercise self-restraint, then they'll feel good about going out and buying stuff, and if they buy stuff, that'll make the economy stronger, and it'll be an endless an endless process of of up and up and up the whole way, like the target uh, you know slogan up and up, and it can and it will never stop. Now, liberalism, capital L European liberalism, also says we're not going to think about limits. We're going to say there are no limits. And I think we're coming to an awareness that that wasn't such a great idea. We live in a world where limits are there whether we like it or not. But my point is, we, are living, we live in a culture which says your desires are good and you ought to fulfill them. And ultimately that deadens um, us to any awareness of our responsibility to others, maybe even to ourselves, and, and, uh, and to our world and to God. So the New Testament, and um, in, in, in Jesus authors this, has a more balanced view. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. All of so he understands these as integrated. It's important to love the Lord with your mind. But it's also important that you place your affections on what, uh, on what the Lord Jesus, what God would have, not because He's our boss, but because He built us and actually knows what we are, that for which we are made. So love our God with all your heart, your affections; those are important. With all your soul, that's the you know that's the internal part. That's the that's the long-term, everlasting part. And with all your money, all your smarts. So, we should turn from selfishness. Because the way we are really leads to self-destruction. Maybe one of the most famous of the ancient Greeks was a guy named Alcibiades. Uh, maybe the most talented, the most the most brilliant student of Plato, uh, of Socrates. And... Um, uh, famous in his day. He fought on all three sides during the Peloponnesian War. The Athenians called him back as he was on his way to defeat uh, the Spartan-Corinthian coalition uh, because he uh, was guilty of some horrible crime. They convicted him, he escaped, he went to Sparta, gave the Spartans. The, the clue to defeating the Athenians while the Spartan army was off, he seduced one of the wives of one of the kings. Then he had to leave, and then he ended up in Asia Minor uh, advising the Persians how to keep the two Greek sides fighting each other so they could become supreme. And the judgment of Alcibiades was um, Alcibiades, um, well, history is what Alcibiades did and suffered alcibiades is you and me writ large if we don't if we if we live only for ourselves if we deny the fact that there's a god out there who who has made us and is and is has has created a way for us to be connected with him then we are we're doomed to some destruction maybe not as huge as alcibiades but our own history will be what we do and what we suffer and we, we suffer. Actually, our suffering is the self-imposed stuff and, and, and the hurt and the, and the loneliness and the effects of mistakes we've made. Forget about eternal punishment. That, that's a whole other thing. That also is true, but suffering in this life is bad enough. So what Paul wants to say here is this. We are made for God, but we have lost our way. We need help from the outside because we can't fix ourselves. And God has arranged a solution. It requires only that we recognize our limits and we say, Lord, I need help from outside. And... When uh, one becomes a Christian, the Spirit comes to live within, then. then it is that progressive process of recognizing your own brokenness. As I said, I'm 62. I realized at 62 I'm a lot more whacked out than I thought I was when I was 40. <laughs> so my own brokenness is clear to me. And, and say, Lord, Thank you for your rescue. Thank you that it's renewable. And then live into the new life that God has for us. I think I'm done. Amen? Thank you, God. Uh, thank you that um, although we don't deserve it, you deserve hold us you wash us clean you renew us give us hearts that are wildly expansive to you and the courage and the strength to say no to that self-destructive path that is so appealing and the strength to say yes to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus amen